morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt. I'm a senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship. And today I want to welcome you to this next installment of our series on storm stories. There are a number of stories in the Bible that involve storms, and there are lessons we can learn from each one of them. And so that's why we're doing this series. Today we're going to be looking at a storm that happened in the life of the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament. If you need a pen to take notes, just raise your hand. Uh, we're going to jump right in because this is an important lesson. There are a lot of applications to be learned Uh, when we watch how Paul dealt with a terrible storm. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I thank you that you give us instruction from your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice, even how we're supposed to practice our faith in the middle of storms. Lord, I'm certain there are people here this morning who are going through a difficult time in their lives and they're needing direction and encouragement. And I pray pray that today, through uh, the words that I say, those things will be given. So move me out of the way, Lord. Say whatever you want. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. I want to welcome all the people worshiping with us at Pike Road and Cloverdale, Wetumpka, elsewhere on the web. We're glad uh, that you're with us today too. On his way to Rome, point one on your outline, the Apostle Paul was caught in a terrible storm. Well, why was he on his way to Rome? He had been in prison in Israel for, uh, he was accused of inciting riots and trying to destroy the temple in Jerusalem by some uh, friends, former friends of his, when he became a Christian, he had been very anti-Christian at one time and persecuted Christians. When he became a great missionary and apologist for the Christian faith, people wanted to kill him. He ended up going to prison for a couple of years in Caesarea and he got on board a boat um, headed for Rome. He had appealed to go and present his case to Caesar and the boat went up uh, this coast on the Mediterranean, stopped at a couple of places. And by the time we're jumping in the story, he was on the island of Crete. He had, uh, they'd actually switched ships, and there was a, a boat that was going to be headed from a port in Turkey all the way to Rome, but it was late in the fall. And the thing you need to know is that in the Mediterranean Sea, if you try to sail, I mean, no motors or other things like this, when uh, uh, at that time of year, well, the winds are terribly unpredictable. If you sail late in October or early November, there's a high likelihood you're going to get caught in a terrible storm, and many ships had been shipwrecked long before this journey ever took place by trying to hazard a journey in the middle of the Mediterranean late in the fall. So Paul was on his way to Rome with a boat full of other prisoners who were going to appeal their case to Caesar, the capital of the Roman Empire. And they were kind of running the show at this time. So let's jump in and we'll explain this some more as we go along. By the way, I apologize for my map. I'm not a map maker. You can tell. Okay, not to scale. Okay, not even very good. All right, when the time came, we set sail for Italy. This is from Acts 27. Paul and several other prisoners were placed in the custody of a Roman officer named Julius, a, capital, a captain of the Imperial Regiment. <clears throat> the weather was becoming dangerous for sea travel because it was so late in the fall, and Paul spoke to the ship's officers about it. Men, he said, I believe there's terrible trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo, danger to our lives as well. But the officer in charge of the prisoners listened more to the ship's captain and the owner than to Paul. And most of the crew wanted to go on to Phoenix, farther up the coast of Crete, and spend the winter there. In your margin, if you would just write 2 Corinthians 11.25, they should have listened to Paul. They had gone gone over to Crete here. It had taken them a long time. The winds had been blowing against them. They were making very slow progress. It was late in the fall now. They could have stayed on Crete and wintered there. If you got stuck out here and it was November... You better just winter in for the next three months because if you try to sail out here, there's no telling what's going to happen. But they were on the island of Crete at a place called Fair Havens, and they just wanted to make it to a place over here 
a better port called, at a place called Phoenix. The distance here is about 40 miles. Okay? And so that's what they were waiting for. And Paul was saying, hey, guys, I wouldn't try it. If you try it, we're probably not going to make it. But they wouldn't listen to Paul. The reason I had you write down 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-five in that verse, Paul said, and he'd written this years before he was ever on this journey, um, he had told them he'd been shipwrecked three times and spent a night and a day in the sea. He goes, I know a thing or two about shipwrecks. So uh, if you're ever around somebody who's been shipwrecked three times and they tell you it's a bad idea to sail, please listen. Okay, that was what was going on here. He's going, guys, this isn't going to end well. I've done this. Okay, and then and it's just some practical advice. But they wanted to go. Uh, the soldiers said, I'm not listening to you. I'm listening to the owner of the ship. They thought it was good. So when a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought they could make it. They had a south wind coming up. They thought, well, we'll put out the sails. It's just 40 miles. I mean, even if we go four miles an hour, we can make it there in 10 hours. I mean, with a modern ship or other things, even if you were going like 13, 14 miles an hour, you could make it in three hours. I mean, it would be like a three-hour tour. What could happen? Anyway, uh, some of you will get that. Some of you won't. Um, ask your parents. Okay. Um, so anyway, when a light wind began blowing from the south, uh, the sailors thought they could make it. So they pulled up anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly and the wind of, at a wind of typhoon strength called a nor'easter caught the ship and blew it out to sea. So the wind is coming from the northeast. Here the wind was coming from the south. All they had to do was go 40 miles. And now all of a sudden there's hurricane force winds coming from the northeast just as they set sail. And it blows them out to sea. And so all of a sudden, instead of going here, 40 miles away, now they're here. And they're in trouble. They couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. Then the sailors bound ropes around the hull of the ship to strengthen it. They lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. The next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. Extra planks, extra sailcloth, extra ropes, anything extra to lighten the ship. What they were afraid of was they were afraid that if this wind kept up, it would blow them all the way to the coast of North Africa. And over here, there's a bunch of dangerous reefs and shoals, and they wanted to make the ship as light as possible to give it as much clearance as possible. They were afraid they were going to be run aground in Africa because the wind was blowing them straight that way. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear, threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and stars till at last all hope was gone. It was the days before accurate maps, days before GPS, days before even a modern compass. And the way you navigated was by the stars, and if you couldn't see the sun and the stars, you had no idea what direction you were going. The boat was being turned around and around, back and forth, up and down. Horrible storm for days. All hope was gone. They didn't know if they'd wake up in the middle of the night being smashed against the rocks. They didn't know. They didn't know where they were. Now, before we go any further with the story, I just want to tell you that there, here's a life application right away. Followers of Christ will go through storms. I don't want to, and we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago when Jesus was in another storm story where Jesus was in a boat with his disciples when a terrible storm came. They were with Jesus and they went through a storm. There are many people who still believe this, and I'm not sure why. It's nowhere in the Bible at all. But they go, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you give your heart to Jesus, you surrender to him, you'll have good luck. You will always be happy. You will never get sick. You'll stay young and healthy. Everything will go your way. And if, any, if you have any problems at all, then you're not praying right or you're not living right. 
And people believe this kind of stuff. Yet in the Bible, that's not the case at all. Paul was the guy who wrote most of the New Testament. He's in the middle of a storm. He'd already been shipwrecked three other times. Are you with me here? We will go through storms. And one of the reasons I want to read this account for us is, is, to, is to point out how Paul dealt with that eventuality. By the way, Jesus never promised his disciples an easy life if you follow him. Here's what he said. This is Christ himself. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. Please underline the word many. Many. Can you say many with me? Many. Okay? So don't think it's strange that you and I, well, I don't know why this would happen to me. I'm a Christian. Well, this was a storm. We live in a fallen world where there are hurricanes and nor'easters. And the wind doesn't just blow on people who don't believe in Jesus. The the rain comes on the good and the wicked alike, Jesus says. Here on earth you have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. I mean, Christ came to pay for our sins, to give us power to live life as we should in this fallen, broken world, and to give us the opportunity, the promise, the sure and certain hope of life in heaven where there will be no more storms, no more sorrow, no more crying ever again. But this is not heaven. I mean, I, I just have to remind us of this all the time. And we keep talking about, well, well, I just thought if I followed Christ, I would never have any sorrows again. No, that's, that's heaven. We're not there yet. And I remind people, I'm speaking from Prattville, it is the preferred community, but it's not heaven, okay? It's preferred, but it's not heaven, okay? We will still have storms here. All right, so uh, let's just acknowledge that. And then, when you, and then when you embrace that, Paul wasn't under any illusions about this. I mean, he, you'll see now, and this is point two in your outline, that Paul saw this as an opportunity. The storm gave Paul an incredible opportunity to share his faith. And with the word share there, if you'd write the word model, because by sharing, I mean just living it, modeling it. The storm gave him an incredible opportunity to model his faith and encourage others on the ship. Here's how it happened. No one had eaten for a long time, and finally Paul called the crew together and said, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. I mean, I've been shipwrecked three times, for crying out loud. You would have avoided all this damage and loss, but take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of God, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. Paul had been told earlier already that he would end up in Rome. His ambition had always been to go to Rome. He had appealed to Rome when he'd been on trial here in Israel. That's why he was a part of this journey. They were trying to get here, to Rome, Italy. And an angel had appeared to him on the boat and said, Paul, you're going to get your chance. Don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand before trial, stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It'll be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. Paul urged everyone to eat. You've been uh, so worried you haven't touched food for two weeks. Well, no, I mean, everybody's been seasick as possible. I mean, this has been terrible. Uh, he said, please eat something now for your own good. For not a hair on your heads will perish. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and broke off a piece and ate it. And everyone was encouraged and began to eat, all 276 of us who were on board. I mean, this is a big boat. And they were greatly encouraged. Here's Paul, a prisoner. He's not the captain of the ship. He's not even the captain of the guard. 
He's just a prisoner. But you know what made him stand out? His faith. His faith. And if somewhere on your outline, if you could do this, if you could write these words, what if you and I looked at interruptions as opportunities? What if we looked at that? I mean, there are so many times that we fail to do this. I mean, this is the life application at the top of your page there. Storms can give us incredible opportunities to demonstrate our faith. But not if we're hiding like everybody else. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God. Children shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Paul wrote that. Same guy. Hey, let your light shine is what Jesus had said. You put a lamp up on a stand. Well, that's the time to shine out in the middle of a storm. When you're blown off course. I mean, they were somewhere way out here. It had been days, weeks. They had no idea where they were. They were supposed to be going here. Now they're way off course. Maybe somebody, and this was all because people had made dumb decisions. I mean, that's why they were here. I laughed so hard. I saw some of the t-shirt not long ago. They go, it said, everything happens for a reason. Sometimes the reason bad things happen is because you make stupid decisions. Okay. And that's true. You know why Paul was here? He had tried to warn these people because the ego of the captain and the owner and some bad decisions, that's why he was there with everybody else. And he could have been pouting going, God, I'm trying to get to Rome. This isn't fair. It wasn't my fault. I tried to warn him. God, why'd you let this happen? Instead he goes, guys, I wish you to listen to me. But nevertheless, take courage. They were all afraid. I read it to you before. They'd all given up hope. Not Paul. This was an opportunity for him to give hope. Do you know the word encourage means to give courage? What if God has you and me a part of some things where we'd say, man, I'm way off course. I have to work this whole weekend because some guy on our team didn't get his work done. Now I have to make up for it. We all have to work all weekend. (sighs) And as a Christian, I sit there and I'm pout and I'm angry just like everybody else. Way to stand out, John. But what if I came in and I said, you know, wasn't, I didn't plan on being here, but God, is there an opportunity for me? God, could I give encouragement to people? I mean, you understand, if you and I get caught up in pity parties, we're never going to be a bright light for anybody. God wants us to shine out, our faith to shine out. Always be prepared, Peter wrote this, to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. Paul was ready. Paul was ready. What about you and me? I mean, what if, and this is one of the big takeaways from this whole lesson, what if, what if we're going through a storm right now, a difficulty, and God can use our faith to encourage somebody else in the same mess, in the same waiting room at the hospital, in the same session of physical therapy? God can use us, y'all. But not if we're pitying ourselves. Here's another life application. Paul believed this with all of his heart. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. That's the first line of Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Would you say that out loud with me, please? 
God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Now I'll read the rest of those verses in just a second. But let's just stop there for a second. What this, what this verse tells us is, David was right on this, God is an ever-present help in time of trouble. He's always there to help us. People say, well, yeah, God's a God of heaven. He's a God of someday. Well, he is. He's also a God of this earth, and he's a God of this day. If you need God, today's the day to call out to him. If you're scared and don't know what to do, cry out to the Lord. He'll help you. Listen to the rest of the verses. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? amen? This is what we believe. It's what Paul believed. And he said, take courage. An angel of the God whom I serve was with me last night. Now notice this. While Paul was sleeping, an angel came and told him, it's going to be okay, Paul, and the rest of the guys traveling with you are going to be okay too. It doesn't say that, hey, there was a boat out in the ocean and searchlights and other things, and finally these angels caught up and they had to be hauled on board and they go, oh, we've been looking for you guys for days. We had so much trouble finding you. It wasn't that way at all. Paul and the rest of the crew, the sailors, they had no idea where they were. The angel found Paul instantly. God knew exactly where Paul was. Do you know that God knows where you are? And he's an ever-present help in the midst of the storm? That's why you've got to tie all this together. We will go through many storms. We said that. I had you read that. Then I am also had you read God is a refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble when we go through them. But we forget both those things. And this storm, this story, reminds us. God will help us. I'm reading you from Psalm 46 here. It's marked in my Bible. And what's so interesting is, is I had forgotten this. When I was looking this up this morning in Psalm 46, I found a highlighted uh, section in the margin here. And um, it was so interesting. I, I, just an older copy of the Bible that I had. I've taped it up on the spine because it's falling apart and some of the things. I've got notes all over the place on this. There's a highlighted part here, and it's highlighted, and it says 9-11-2001. And I highlighted it because this is what I read together with my wife and my sons. They were small boys at the time on 9-11. And they came home from school that day, and we were watching the news, and the second tower had fallen, and we were watching this on TV, and our kids were going, Dad, what does this mean? I don't know. Well, what are we going to do? We're going to pray. I'd written 9-11-01, and God is our refuge and strength. And that's what I told my boys. I reminded myself and my wife of this. We prayed together right there in our living room. God's our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, the Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. Paul wasn't afraid. Everybody else had given up hope, not Paul, because he believed in God. Would people say the same about you and me? When we're blown way off course and things are hard, are we the ones who give up first? Uncle, it's all over. Can't do it. Are we people of faith saying, the Lord will show me. The Lord is with me. I will not fear. I told you this story had application for us. It does, if we'll listen. 
Well, there's more. The story goes on. When morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline. They saw a bay with a beach, and they wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. So basically, they have drifted off course now. They are way over here next to some islands over here. And uh, they see an island and a beach, and they make for the beach. So they're just going to... They cut away the anchors, the ropes holding the anchors. They hoist up the sail. And what they're going to do is go as fast as they can, see if they can run the ship aground on the beach. But they hit a shoal, and they ran the ship aground too soon. And the bow of the ship, the front of the ship, stuck fast, while the stern, the back, was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves, and it began to break apart. The soldiers wanted to kill all the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape, because in those days, if you were guarding a prisoner on the way to Rome... And the prisoner escaped, the man guarding him took his punishment. And there were murderers in the midst, and so if a murderer escaped, the guards would be murdered. The guards would be put to death in his place. So they weren't going to take any chances. But listen to this. But the commanding officer, Julius here, wanted to spare Paul so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Same guy who didn't listen to Paul about sailing was now willing to stake his life on Paul's advice. Um, then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. The others held on to planks or debris from the broken up ship. And so everyone escaped safely to shore. And here's a note. Unbelievers notice authentic faith. I mean, if you and I are the ones who give hope in bad situations, even if it's due to a situation that was not our fault, we're going, you're right. This isn't good. This isn't fair. This isn't the way it should be. But what if our attitude's different? Are we inspiring worry and anxiety and fear? I mean, is that what we want people to notice? Or do we want people to notice peace and joy? Well, that comes when we trust in God and not ourselves. Peter talked about this too. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. They're watching you and me. And glorify God on the day he visits us. What would people see? I mean, you and I, under, you, you and I get this. Hey, come worship with me. Come follow God. Why? You are just as worried. You are just as stressed out. You have just as bad a temper, just as foul a mouth. You don't handle pressure anybody else. You're just as fearful as everyone else is. But you have to go to church too. And I can go play golf. No thanks. But what if they see authentic faith? What do you guys do there on Sundays anyway? Because there's something different about you. What do you guys do in those connect groups? There's something different about you. Why do you read your Bible every day? I'm asking because there's something different about you. Well, Paul lived his life that way. And it brings us to point three. The storm gave Paul new ministry opportunities in places he never intended. Point two, by the way, the storm gave Paul an incredible opportunity to model his faith on the boat. And now he's going to have ministry opportunities where they land when they swam ashore. Once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. Nothing to do with malted milk balls or any of that stuff. Just named Malta. That's all. Okay. So they ended up here on this little island south of Sicily. And it's named Malta. Never intended to go there, but that's where they ended up. 
the people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. And as Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake driven out by the heat bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, Murderer, no doubt, though he escaped the sea, justice won't permit him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. The people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But when they'd waited a long time and saw he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he must be a god. Near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief official of the island, and he welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him, and laying his hands on him, he healed him. Then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed, and as a result, we were showered with honors. When time came to set sail, people supplied us with everything we'd need for the trip. They ended up staying there for three months here, and finally they ended up getting on another boat that took them over here to the coast of Italy, and eventually they took a route into Rome. But for three months, they were on the island of Malta. Now, I don't want to go too fast past this part here where Paul got bitten by a snake and shook it off in the fire. This is a wonderful testament again. I mean, God is so good to allow all these things to happen because it even adds another layer to what we've been talking about today about why storms and bad things can happen in our lives. Well, the people on Malta believe the way a lot of people in our culture do today, that every time something bad happens to you, God's getting even with you for something in the past. So he's gathering sticks and throws them on the fire. He gets bitten by a snake. They go, ah, God's getting even with him. He must be a murderer. This happens. People say this stuff all the time. Bad things happen in their lives. Oh, God's getting even with me for prom night. That's what's happening. I know what's going on here. And people come and tell me this stuff all the time. Oh, he's getting even with me for something I did 10 years ago. That's what's going on. Well, why would the snake bite him? Because that's what snakes do. And Paul shook the snake off. And when they didn't see anything happen, that blew this up. I mean, this is what happens. People do this all the time on Facebook. Anything bad happens. Karma, karma, that's the big thing now. And people don't even know what that would mean. Let me tell you something. As Christians, we don't serve a God who is a vengeful, angry God who's always trying to get even with us. We serve a loving God who sent his own son to die in our place to pay the punishment that I do deserve. He does not treat me as my sins deserve. And I do not believe in karma. I believe in a loving God who protects us and loves us and was with Paul and showed these silly superstitious natives that their understanding was all wrong. And then he was able to do a lot of miracles in the name of Jesus. And you can bet he explained everything to them. And so they were grateful that that ship had crashed. So grateful they gave supplies for all the 276 people on board. So when they were ready to set sail, they had everything they needed to make it to Rome. And if you look at another life application here, did you know this is what Paul wrote about years before this had happened? God can use storms in our lives for good. Paul wrote that in Romans 8, 28, three years before this shipwreck ever happened. Three years earlier. So if you ever wondered, well, did Paul practice what he preached? You betcha. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Come on, guys, let's eat. You need some strength. We're going to crash, but it's okay. An angel of the Lord told me. Get on the island. Well, let's see what the ministry is available here on this island. I'm going to Rome eventually, but my life is in the Lord's hands. I'm not worried about any kind of detours. 
An interruption is an opportunity to Paul. To you and me, horrible setback, end of living as we know it. And all too often we can be drama queens rather than modeling a faith in the Lord. One more life application here. In order to be available for God to use us like Paul, we must surrender. I mean, in order to be able to get to the perspective that, hey, God could use this for good, whew, I got to have some software realigned here. I got to think differently. So do you. Listen to how Paul thought. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live this earthly body, in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That was Galatians 2.20. Paul. Philippians 1.21. Paul again. For to me, living means living for Christ. Dying's even better. Galatians 6.14. Same guy. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified and the world, world's interest in me has also been crucified. If you and I want success going through storms, it's not going to be it's not going to happen by pretending that we should never go through storms because we will. It's not going we're not going to find peace by having pity parties every time something goes wrong, but rather to say, "Hey, regardless of where I find myself in a dark and stormy sea in the hold of a ship on an island where I never intended to go, I'm just going to be available wherever God wants me." Even if there's an interruption, maybe it's an opportunity. I want to pray for that. I want to live that way, and I believe you do too. I don't want to be a crybaby. I also don't want to miss opportunities that are right in front of me. There are so many people I talk to, my goodness, where things brought them to a place they didn't think they'd ever be. I talked to some people, the military brought them from Hawaii to Prattville here. And again, I mean, Prattville's a great place. I'm not dogging on Prattville today, but it's not Hawaii. Can we all agree? And they, when they came here, they said, oh, we didn't plan on being here. And nine months later, I remember the family came to me and said, we never planned on being here, and we weren't happy about it. Did you know that? I went, yeah, since you told me five times you weren't happy about it. I knew you weren't happy about it. And uh, they said, but you know, God has brought us the best friends, and he has grown our family so much closer here. We believe God wanted us here. And I go, yeah, me too. Can we pray right now that God would allow us to have the commitment of Paul, a total surrender? We're never going to be able to get here unless we do. I mean, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And Paul says, look, I just boast about the cross, not me. My plans, my plans. His plans will matter. Can we pray? Lord, I just thank you for Paul, and I want to be like him. But Lord, I'm not going to get there unless I fully surrender. And you know the areas in my life where I'm so fearful and afraid. You know the things that make me worry and lose my mind. And God, I pray that you will, help, that you will give me victory and you will give me courage like you gave Paul. In a moment of silence right now, if God spoke to you about a great worry or maybe you're going through a difficult time yourself or maybe your plans, maybe you're at a stage in your life you never thought you'd be where you are. And you've been angry about it and sulking about it instead of asking God where you might be. Would you say, God, would you give me your perspective on all this? He'll hear you.
We pray these things in the name of Jesus, Lord. We surrender all. Amen.